And welcome to episode three of the Weekend Recap Summer Series. Matt Walling here, joined alongside my co-host, Luke Owens. Luke, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Matt. You sound a little sad, though, so I don't know. I might have to, I mean, I might have to cheer you up a little bit. We're 16 minutes late here. The audio system wasn't working. I was irritated. I'm still hungry after dinner. There's no more hockey this, either, and that's kind of sad as well. It's just we're, one of those nights. It is one of those nights, but we're, you know what? We're going to power through it. It's, we still got a great show. And at the end of the day, I'm feeling better than a lot of people in New York. You know why? What's that? Because I'm not a Knicks fan. And they had some really rough news the other night with uh, Kevin Durant's injury. It was officially uh, diagnosed as a torn Achilles. And really, a, not, I don't say a gruesome injury, but on the replay, when they really focused in on his leg, it looked pretty gross. You kind of saw it uh, snap like blinds. And, you know, this is – I think this is the biggest story of the season, really, is is the injury to Kevin Durant because it affects pretty much an entire year. And not only that, but it affects the the NBA landscape for now years to come given this injury in his free agent – in with free agency a month away. Yeah, and, of course, watching uh, SVP after the finals games is usually is my uh, tradition on those – on the nights where there are games. And I think Brian Windhorst said it perfectly when he said, you know – this is going to change the landscape of the NBA as we know it going forward, especially with this offseason with all the big pieces. And now Kevin Durant most likely going to miss all of next year, if not most of it. And then the question is, you know, how does he bounce back from this injury? How effective can he really be after suffering such a detrimental injury? And then moving to, you know, the local teams in the Knicks and even possibly the Nets, do the Knicks want to drop $38 million of cap space on a guy that's not going to play next year? And that's no guarantee to be good going forward. And I don't know. I don't know what I'd do if I'm the Knicks because Kevin Durant, yes, he is by far, he's, in my opinion, the best scorer in the NBA right now. You can make an argument that he's the best player in the NBA, but me being a LeBron guy, I'm never going to fully buy into that argument until LeBron can't walk anymore. But I think if you're the Knicks, the question is, is it worth running that risk? Do you potentially hinder your franchise once again by giving him a max deal, giving him four years? not knowing what type of, of strength he's going to be at when he's finally back. Right, but at the end of the day, this is Kevin Durant we're talking about. Arguably the best player in the world right now, at least of the ones that were playing in these playoffs. And if he's hurt and he comes back and he's 80% of what he was, he's still a top 10, top 15 player in the NBA. He's that good when he's healthy. And this is an injury that, yes, it's a lengthy recovery process, but Kobe Bryant went through and he came back healthy and fine. Obviously, he was older. He, I think he was 34 when he had the injury. But this is a guy in Kevin Durant that he can come back in March at nine months after surgery, and he won't tear it up next year, but he can kind of regain his steps. And if you're the Knicks, you have to sign a guy like them, him. Who You're not getting Kawhi. He's probably going to L.A. You're not getting these talented guys, and you need talent. What else are you going to do without a guy like him? There's really nothing else you can do, and it's an awful injury. But if you're the Knicks, you have to go after a guy like Kevin Durant. You have to. I don't know if you have to. I think there's just so many question marks attached to this because if Kyrie Irving, as it comes out today, reported the Boston Globe that Kyrie is going to the Nets, I don't buy into that completely. I mean, it's Kyrie Irving we're talking about. He could change his mind in a heartbeat. But I think that if the Knicks sign Kevin Durant, they use one of those max slots. You don't get Kyrie Irving. Who's filling that second slot? A guy like Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris. I don't love any of the other names that are being floated out there. And so if you have Kevin Durant sitting out for, you know, a year, you know, that's good. Let him get healthy. But if that slot gets eaten up by a guy like 
Jimmy Butler, you don't really build a great team around him. Maybe the Knicks do slide into the playoffs or something like that. But if Durant doesn't come back fully healthy, then that's just a huge waste because then your centerpiece of your franchise is a guy like Jimmy Butler or one of those kind of B-level free agents. So I don't think the Knicks have to. I think the Knicks have the best chance of signing Durant. I think a lot of teams are going to back off knowing now uh, about Durant being out a year. But I think if you are the Knicks and you are sold that Kevin Durant is your guy, then go out and obviously offer him that max deal. I don't think it will bite him. I think Kevin Durant will be back and be fine. But there's always going to be that question mark in the back of my mind. Yeah, but also if you look at the Knicks, let's let's say you go out and you sign a guy like Kevin Durant. This could be, He could be your only max player. And then you move on from there and you say, okay, he's our one guy. And we're gonna lo- we're gonna be terrible for another year. You could basically have another lottery pick, and then you add Kevin Durant to the mix next year, and you have a really good team. And also, what else? Don't my only thing with the Knicks is what else are you doing with that money? You have nothing else, so why not go out there and make a splash for a guy like Kevin Durant? And if it doesn't work, well, you wasted money. But J- James Dolan has all that money to spend. He wants to win, and this is really his best shot to win to win a series or to win a a, a championship. If you go out and you get a guy like Kevin Durant, because you're not getting Kawhi Leonard, I would almost be 100% sure he's staying in either Toronto or going to LA. You're not getting, if you got a guy like Jimmy Butler, your team's not good enough to win a championship if he's your star. Your team's not good enough if you have Tobias Harris as your max guy. And for me, Kemba Walker is staying in Charlotte. I don't care what anyone else says. He's not giving up a super max. He said that he wants to take less to stay with them. Who else are you getting if you're the Knicks that has the same magnitude as Kevin Durant? There's nobody else with it. And I think that you can you can waste a year, wait until he comes back in 2020, and have an even better surrounding cast around him. And then you have the hype going into it with Kevin Durant fully healthy coming back, and maybe you get Anthony Davis as a free agent, who said he's not signing an extension with whoever trades for him. I think it's just going to be a lot of turmoil if the Knicks only get Kevin Durant this offseason, because uh, the, lights, the lights are already out here. But um, I think that if you're the Knicks, you go out, you sign Kevin Durant, you don't get anyone else. This was supposed to be the offseason where it started off with Zion Williamson and then continued with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, with some nice backup plans. But Zion Williamson obviously is going to the Pelicans, and then you have a guy like uh, Kyrie Irving most likely going to the Nets. Kevin Durant's injured. Kawhi Leonard's going to meet with them, but I doubt that he's going to sign with the Knicks. So it becomes another disappointing offseason where the Knicks were supposed to do well, and there's not going to be another free agency class like this. I think if you're the Knicks, even if Kyrie Irving seemingly wants to go to the Nets, you have to push him as hard as you can to come to the Knicks. You have to make another signing for the Knicks. You cannot be content with Kevin Durant because the fans aren't going to be content with that. And as much as as the Knicks fan base sometimes gets on my nerves, they deserve to have a winning team. And they've waited this long. So either go all in with the rebuild or go all in with his free agency class. I don't think you can kind of sit in the middle with a guy just signed Kevin Durant. I don't think that's enough. Because even if he comes back the next year, it's still him, all these young guys, and then it's talking about more potential signings. I'm, I'm, I, if I'm a Knicks fan, I'm sick of all this potential. you got to go out and make two signings this offseason. You've got to fill both those max slots. I think this is the best time to do it. See, I see what you're saying, but also, if you don't get – if you if you don't want to f- throw a max slot around at people that don't deserve it, you look at what happened with Mike Conley. Good player. Is he a max guy? I don't know. And looking now, you look at Memphis, they sure could use a max contract slot – to go after a guy like Kevin Durant or whoever else is in this tri- in this slot. So if you're looking at your second max contract spot and you can get Tobias Harris or wait, why not wait? You know, yes, money, uh, cap space is just air until you use it, but you don't want to use it poorly because that's one of the worst ways to cripple a franchise, especially in the NBA where you have such 
high percentages locked up in max deals. So if you're the Knicks, Kevin Durant should be your first guy to look after. I think he's the most, aside from Kawhi Leonard, who I think he's my number one uh, tr- acquisition. If not, you look at Kevin As Durant. As you should you say, be for a friendly team. You say, okay, we're going to get him, and we might just stay, stay with him. You might just stay the course, have another terrible year, get another lottery pick, because now you might have two R.J. Barretts. You know, maybe you draft a point guard, one that you a position that you desperately need. So now you have a really good guard, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, another year of him developing, Kevin Knox developing. And if you have Kevin Durant, even though he's injured around this facility, the stuff that you can show Kevin Knox could make him into an extremely talented player. So, yes, you don't want to have to give up all this and really just have a wasted season. But I think when you look at, at the Knicks, you finally have infrastructure that you trust. How many times do I do we say before this season you would you would rather be a Nets fan than a Knicks fan because of the because of the coaching staff the the ownership and the management you trusted them more than Knicks right now I trust the Knicks coach and Fizdale I trust Scott Perry and all those guys so if they don't get any bites then don't force it that's the biggest thing I can say but regardless for the Knicks you need to go after guards you need a legit floor manager and some talent because right now you can't run Dennis Smith Jr. out there as your top guard he's not good enough he's shown it that, yes, he's a decent piece, but he's much better coming off the bench than in a starting role. I don't know. I, I You know, the Knicks shouldn't force it, and I'm not saying they should just, you know, if they get Kevin Durant everything else falls, they should just throw a max out at a guy like Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris. But, I don't know, it just, just seemed like the offseason where the Knicks were going to finally put it together, and it seems like things are starting to fall out of place. I'm not saying but go out and make – this is their fault, obviously. You're not saying that's their fault. No, I'm not saying but it's their fault. But if you're a Knicks fault, fan, you not... change your expectations. Because Kevin Durant's not healthy for all of next year. So you sign him, great. But if he's the only guy you sign, then you have no difference from last year's team. And you should really scale back your your expectations accordingly. If you go out and you get two big max players, let's say you get Butler and Tobias Harris as your two max slots, they're not necessarily worth it as much. But the Knicks fans are going to say, we need to make the plus. We just signed, we just did a big offseason moves. And if you sign those two guys, I don't know if you're making the playoffs. I know, but you know, you talked about how we're starting to regain that trust in the next front office. They have to have had a plan B in this situation. You know, it can't be panic mode just because Kevin Durant's hurt and because Kyrie Irving might not be going to the Knicks. You have to imagine that they have a backup plan. So I think that's the hope in all of this is that the Knicks do have a backup plan and they do have a lot of young pieces. So, you know, even if they don't get a guy like Anthony Davis, you could see some other movement for for someone else because I don't know, I just I think that the Knicks are going to take a big hit in terms of, of fan love, in terms of their perception around the league, which is already pretty poor in terms of they haven't won in a long, long time. And I think they're going to really hurt themselves if they don't make a big splash. Right. One last thing as we move on from the Knicks to the Nets is that according to people that Alan Hahn spoke with, once Anthony Davis said that he won't sign a contract extension with whoever trades him, the Knicks kind of fell out on him. And that's the greatest move and the smartest move for the Knicks because especially with Kevin Durant injured, you can't afford to trade your entire team for Anthony Davis, who's a top five player in the world, no doubt. But he's just not worth it. You look at a team, yes, you want star power, but the Knicks can get it through other means without giving up their entire system. Yeah, I think there's a lot of issues with Anthony Davis, too. I mean, he signs a deal with New Orleans, and then in the last year, all of a sudden, he doesn't want to play anymore. I think that's a little bit ridiculous. I mean, no one told him to sign that contract at midnight the first day of free agency. He's still owed $25 million next year. Why not just ride it out? So there's a lot of question marks, not just with giving up all the young pieces, but just with Anthony Davis in general. I think if I'm the Knicks, I, I stay away from that. I keep the young pieces. And if you don't land a free agent, it's going to be all about developing those young free agents. I don't want Anthony Davis and then 
whoever the Knicks would even have after after a, a trade for him kind of just lingering around and basically be like Anthony Davis with the Pelicans all over again. So, yeah, I, I'd avoid Anthony Davis at all costs if I'm the Knicks. Right. Now, moving to Brooklyn, this is a team that's kind of interesting in the sense that they've Brooklyn, been baby. the closest tie to Kyrie Irving. I believe you said earlier before the show that it's almost a done deal that he's going to Brooklyn. Obviously, you can't trust Kyrie Irving as you can't trust really any any player. They can change their mind in a blink of an eye. But especially Kyrie Irving, you never really know. But this is a team that has really talented guards. The four guards that they used all of last year are D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Chris Levert, and Joe Harris. Those are all really talented guys. You look at D'Lo, he's really comeback player of the year caliber. He's a max, max slot guy, no doubt. Chris Levert, the only reason he was drafted so low in that second round is because he was more injury-prone in college. And Spencer Dinwiddie has been really excellent. So these are three guys in Joe Harris who won the three-point com- competition at the All-Star game that are all really talented. Now, I don't understand why you're bringing a guy like Kyrie Irving. You kind of look to the Celtics last year bringing him in. Terry Rozier could not deal with him. D'Angelo Russell said earlier that he really liked the team that they had and doesn't want to mess with it. So why are you bringing a guy like Kyrie Irving who does just whatever D'Angelo Russell does but he doesn't have the same chemistry with this team. Yeah, I think this would be an awful move for the Nets. Kyrie Irving, to me, is, you know, we saw it with, with the Celtics. He's really a cancer for these young guys. And if you bring him into what's been a great situation for the Nets, you finally get rid of all the, you know, the Paul Pierce, uh, Kevin Garnett trade with the, with the Celtics. You kind of clear that. You finally get some picks back. You make really smart picks. And these are like buy low guys that the Nets were able to kind of pick out of the trash heap in terms of the draft. And then obviously you land a guy like uh, D'Angelo Russell, which was a great deal for them. He ends up being what seems to be he's going to be an all-star for years to come. I keep D'Lo. I build around him. You put down a couple of of interesting pieces. I think, you know, Tobias Harris maybe, uh, Brooke Lopez. I'd also maybe like to see a guy like Chris Middleton with the Nets. These would be the pieces that I would want to build around D'Lo. Keep Kyrie away from that. Kyrie Irving coming to the Nets. And if they're not good next year, you're going to set back the Nets. Uh, once again, another five years. We already saw that you have this good young group of guys together, and you, why don't you keep them together? Let them build. The East isn't as a powerhouse as it used to be. And we saw the Nets. I mean, they gave the, the Sixers a run for a couple of games there. I like what they've done so far. I, I would stick with it. I don't think Kyrie Irving really is a great fit for any team besides maybe the Lakers where he's not going to be the alpha. Or, you know, if he goes to the Knicks with Kevin Durant. I don't want Kyrie Irving as the best player on my team. Yeah, I think he's a great fit with the Knicks. You look at what they need. They need guards. They need talented guards. And he's a guy that I think can deal well with Kevin Durant because you can see Kevin Durant kind of play a similar game to LeBron when he comes back and he's healthy. Maybe Kevin Durant's a guy that doesn't need to be ball dominant. You see what he can do with Steph Curry, who's really a floor manager in in the game and neither really need the ball as much as a guy like Kyrie Irving needs who can really create his own shots and Kevin Durant off ball plays just as well as anyone in the league. So I think that's really his best fit, but it looks like he's so enamored with Brooklyn being a fan of the Nets when he was growing up. For me, it just doesn't make sense to the Nets at all. I really like what D'Angelo Russell has done on this team. I love the the vibe that this team has, that gritty, hardworking vibe that I don't think Kyrie brings to the table. And you look at some other pieces, the Nets, to me, you guys need talented big men. And the first guy that really comes to mind is Kawhi Leonard. And I think Brooklyn is a dark horse, really the third team in there for Kawhi Leonard services. You look at Toronto and LA are number one and two, but I think Brooklyn's in LA of the East in a sense. They're the Clippers of the East. And if he wants to go to New York, if he wants to stay on the East coast for some reason, why not build your brand in Brooklyn? You know, it's, it's a unique kind of culture around it. 
And I think he kind of fits really in with that Williamsburg kind of hipster vibe where he's a little off and a little weird. And I think that would sell really well in Brooklyn. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you mentioned the Clippers and the Nets kind of being similar. I really like that comparison. Actually, you might have stolen that from me. I don't remember. That was more of a mutual comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm messing with you. You know, they're both the number twos in, in major markets. They both have ha- they both had great years. They both made the playoffs. Uh, won, the Clippers won two games against the Warriors, and that's won a game against the 76ers. I like the young pieces that they have. Uh, and I think that a guy like Kawhi Leonard would be perfect with the Nets culture. I still think he's more of an L.A. guy. You know, he, he loves the West Coast. That's where he's from. But And I, obviously, Toronto, I think, would be more of a favorite compared to Brooklyn. Exactly, even though I've never had it before. It's pretty good. So I'm kind of a fraud. It's pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, I like what the Nets are doing, and I think Kyrie Irving would really blow that up. So, yeah, go target other guys. You don't Even if you don't get a Kawhi Leonard, you can build nice pieces around this team to make them compete in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, one guy I'd love to see come back is Brooke Lopez. He was really good in Brooklyn. When they were really bad all those years, he was really just a, a bright spot on this team. And he's, getting and he's gotten a lot very, better. He's getting paid very little in – Milwaukee I think just under four million dollars and as you said Luke he can shoot the three now he can space the floor he's not just a post guy and I think that Brooklyn could really use a guy like him a rebound machine a guy that's really steady a good veteran leader that knows the area well and another guy would be a guy like Tobias Harris or the Long Island kid you know if he strikes out and doesn't get signed to the Knicks maybe he looks to Brooklyn just anyone that can really kind of spread the floor a little bit more for D'Lo and guys like that Julius Randle, you know, he had a decent year, I guess, with New Orleans. But if he's a guy that Kenny Atkinson can kind of really make him a reclamation project, that'd be a really unique fit as well for the Nets. Yeah, and obviously I know we have to move on to our next point. But just a quick note, I mean, Tobias Harris wanted to sign with the Knicks. Actually, when he first uh, was going to be a free agent after being with Orlando for his first three years, and the Knicks didn't want him. So this could be a move the Nets kind of swoop in and say, hey, like you're a New York guy. Why don't you come play for us? We're kind of the, the new young hot thing in New York. So that could be an interesting piece as well. Yeah, just the last couple of names to throw out here in free agency as we move on to the NBA Finals is, you know, you look at a guy like Clay Thompson. He's going nowhere. There's no chance he's leaving Golden State. And one thing that no, really he'll sign the one year. You think he signs one year, one year deal? He'll sign one year. He'll make all NBA, and then he'll sign a supermax yeah, with the Warriors. I which agree. Is, I think would be a smart people play. are saying that KD is going to get re-signed by Golden State. Where does Clay come into the mix? You can't keep Clay and KD. They don't yeah. fit. It just doesn't make sense to me. That's why I think KD is leaving for sure. Then you'll get Jimmy Butler. I could see him going to LA with LeBron. You know, to buy same with Marcus Cousins, and there's just. Those are kind of like those B-level guys alongside Tobias Harris, Nikola Vucevic, who you know pretty well from playing in Orlando. But I think the Magic's top priority this offseason. Yeah, do you think he gets re-signed? I think he does. I don't think it's the right decision, but I think he does get re-signed. And then you look at you know Malcolm Brogdon. I think he stays in Milwaukee. DeAndre Jordan. I think he takes like the vet minimum to go back to the Knicks because I think he likes what they're building there. And yeah, and he's Katie's boy. Yeah, I, I think when you look at it, the only real chance that. Brooklyn has it signing any of these guys would have to be Kyrie who I think is a mistake KD I guess but I think he stays with the Knicks and then you look at a guy like Jimmy Butler Tobias Harris I think those and Brooke Lopez those are the big three guys that the Nets can get and I don't want them to force it because this is a team that has some talent you don't want to make an overreaction but also you trade away your pick in this year's draft to make caps uh cap space for a second max contract slot you need to do something with that or else that trades a total fail because you brought pretty much nothing back. Right. 
Yeah, I agree completely. And, you know, Vucevic, just a side note, I think he'd fit really nicely on the Lakers. And that's a, a team that was floated around even at the trade deadline last year before the Magic ended up making that playoff push. I mean, he's he's a great piece. I just don't think he fits in with a young team in Orlando. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Obviously, being a being a Magic fan, Vucevic is, is great for the city of Orlando. He's kind of the big thing there. But I think he doesn't fit into to what's in store for the future with a guy like Mo Bamba waiting in the shadows. Yeah, we'll move on here to the NBA Finals. It's around 8.36. I'm not quite sure when the game starts. I think it's probably around 9. Being that 9 p.m. Should probably tip at like 9.10, though. Yeah, so I'll fortunately I'll be able to watch that. I haven't been able to watch too much of the series. But really, it's been an interesting series. And we'll start with Game 5. Just recap that a little bit, where Kevin Durant played 12 minutes, all 12 in the first quarter, 11 points. And for me, the only slight I can give on Golden State is, even though he wasn't given a minutes restriction, how do you not take him out a little bit in that first quarter? How does he play the entire first quarter without a single breather? He hasn't played in a month. Yeah, I agree. I think that was the only fall I had because, you know, obviously it's going to be the blame game. And we saw Golden State's GM come out, you know, crying, saying, if there's anyone to blame, blame me. But Kevin Durant's camp, I mean, Kevin Durant himself, the Warriors training staff, they all agreed he, he was okay to play. It's not like the Warriors said, hey, Kevin, we don't really care what where you're at right now. Go out and play. I don't think this is anyone's fault. I think Curry maybe should have managed his minutes a little bit. But, I mean, when the dude comes out and scores 11 points, you want to keep him in the game. I don't think that really had to do with it. I think this was just one of those scenarios that really did not work out well. And obviously you have to feel bad for Kevin Durant in this situation. I mean, it's just an awful injury to see. And a guy that really I've grown to respect a lot more during this postseason. Obviously after his move, I was one of the first to criticize him. But I think I, he's grown on me a lot in terms of respect uh, during this postseason and the way he handled this this recent injury. Yeah, and one thing, whenever I talk about Kevin Durant, I feel a pit in my stomach. You know, he's a guy that's been so coveted for the last year now, such a talented player, never really got, honestly never got the respect in Golden State because he certainly was respected, but he always felt like the outsider, that mercenary that came in to win championships. And now with a chance to find his own team and really find his own path, add to his legacy, he gets hurt and it's, it's sickening. And people that are saying this is Golden State's fault, they should be ashamed of themselves, as long as the doctors cleared them and he, they did that with integrity, which I'm sure they did, then there's no one's fault. The only issue was that he didn't have enough time to rehab his leg to get that to get that Achilles strong enough to support the weakened calf. That was the only issue. And this is an injury that even if you sit him out the first quarter and you play him five minutes this game, he makes one sharp move and that, and that Achilles is gone. It's not like he, it was wear and tear on that Achilles. It was one strong basketball move that really caused uh caused it to rupture and that could have happened anywhere you know that wasn't necessarily the fault of of him playing too many minutes or the fault of golden state that's just that his leg wasn't strong enough to support it yeah i think rupture was honestly the best news that durant could have gotten different than a tear like a guy like uh kobe bryant had uh chauncey Phillips. so i think the probability of him coming back sooner and coming back stronger is probably a little bit better now that it's a rupture. Do you know what but the difference is? Because I'm stupid. The only difference I know for sure is that the rupture is usually a full recovery, whereas the the tear, you're more likely to have that injury be nagging. So uh, best case scenario, it should be he should be coming back stronger or strong enough. And the, the rupture also is more of a six to nine months thing. Whereas if it was a tear, he would miss the next year completely a hundred percent. But I think whoever signs him will give him as much time as he needs, because I mean, that's going to be a big investment. $38 million is, is a large investment. So you want to give that investment as much time as possible. Right. I'm looking up the difference between the two. Uh, if it ruptures, you might hear a pop. 
and you have a sharp pain. The one thing that's weird is that he walked off so like nonchalant, like he hobbled obviously, but he was walking under his own power. You know, that was just kind of yeah. interesting. And I'm trying to see a difference here, and it doesn't seem like there's much of a, of a difference really. I guess maybe the rupture is more clean. Is that what you think it is? It's a complete tear that then you kind of work on there. That was just like my like WebMD of it. I don't really, I don't know. All right. Any doctors listening, uh, message us in the comments below. Let us know so we can figure this out. And again, I think we both agree with the who's fault narrative. And you can't blame anyone for this. It was just a mistake that happened. And one thing that was disgraceful in a sense is when Raptors fans started cheering for the injury. And if the, if they saw that he had ruptured his Achilles, I don't think they'd be cheering. But when he goes down like that and he's lying on the ground, non-contact injury, you can't cheer over that. That was disgraceful. I think it was a really awkward. It's tough. I'm not I'm not giving them any type of, of excuse here for cheering. But also, I think it comes down to if you're in the building and you see Durant go down, I think for a split second you're thinking – Durant's hurt again. We're really about to win the NBA Finals, type of thing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it's okay in any sense, but I think that's kind of the initial. The initial thought, probably going through the fans' heads, was like, you know, we're we're gonna win this. We're gonna win this Finals. Like Durant's out, and I think, like you said, if if they saw how bad it was, I don't think they'd be cheering. But I think that's probably what was going through their heads when it happened. Yeah, I think you get caught up in the moment, but also listening to Alan Han show as I do pretty much every day on my commute to work. You hear him say that when the Islanders were playing the Leafs and Michael Pekka tears his ACL, clearly blatant injury, the, the crowd was cheering. And honestly, it's it's hockey, it's not basketball, but the fans are pretty much the same. And to have them cheering is just so disgusting. And obviously they stop when the team told them to. And I'm not going to – you know, I think you get caught up in the moment, but at the same time, like, show some respect. Some things are bigger than a championship. And I think that's really bad karma for this team where I'm almost rooting for Golden State now. I think it'd be hilarious if Toronto blows a three-run lead like this. I think it'd be so funny. Yeah, I mean, I guess. But, I mean, this is going to be a big game, obviously, tonight, game six. It's the last game at uh, the Oracle Arena before Golden State travels across the bay to play in Oakland. I, I like Toronto. I think they're going to go out there and win tonight. Obviously, it's going to be a lot on the line. There's going to be a lot of emotion in the building. The Warriors are going to play with that emotion. But... I like the, the the Raptors to kind of plug that stopgap and, and get that win tonight. I think that their bench, something that we criticize, has been a little bit better since that point. And it's going to be on the shoulders of Kawhi Leonard once again to go in there. Steve Kerr has never lost three consecutive games at the Oracle Arena during the playoffs. So that will be an interesting narrative to watch. But I don't know. I just have a gut feeling that Toronto's going to go in there and take care of business tonight. Right. Well, it's true that they've never lost three games uh, in the playoffs under – Steve Kerr, they've already they've lost three consecutive at home to Toronto dating back to the regular season. Obviously, it's different with the regular season. You know, you don't have that same intensity. You might be resting guys. But Toronto's looked really good in this series. They've been the better team. But for me, I look at it and I just say there's, there's this vibe around Golden State that's still really mystical in a sense. You look at this team after the injury, you say, what a great story this would be. This is still that team. And there's no way. I just don't see them fizzling out like this in such a manner, especially after last last game where, yes, Kevin Rand added 11 points and was a big role, but DeMarcus Cousins went was 6 of 8 from the field, played 20 minutes. This is a guy that really had his best game all playoffs, and if he can slide in and play maybe 25, 30 minutes, get 20 points, that's a huge difference that almost makes up for Kevin Durant. I don't see that happening. I mean, Boogie, obviously, he's been 
up and down all series long. He had what people aren't talking about is that moving screen he had, which was a clear moving screen that almost set up the the Raptors to win the series. So Draymond Green and Boogie Cousins had really awful um, basketball IQs down the stretch there, but the worst basketball IQ is Nick Nurse for Toronto calling the timeout. They go up by six. Kawhi Leonard scores ten straight points, and you call a timeout when the crowd is in a frenzied state. That's supposed to be what the road coach does, not the home coach. I think Nick Nurse really took that timeout. He's like, you know, I'm going to soak in this moment. Like this is awesome. Let's 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 enjoy this for a second. But you cannot you cannot enjoy that moment. You need to keep your foot on the throat of the Warriors. I think that's what really cost them the game because you take a timeout, the Warriors get a breath, Steve Kerr gets a drop a play, bang by Steph, bang by Clay, tie game, and that's all she wrote from there. So I think that was the worst. That's one of the worst timeout calls I've ever seen. But also, you're looking at Kawhi Leonard, played 41 minutes, takes 24 shots. He's tired. He was. You think really Kawhi Leonard needs a blow in that moment? There's no way he needs a blow in that moment. No way. I'm not. I'm not buying that at all. Do you, I? I. I see what he's trying to do, and I see what you're saying at the same time, where if I'm the coach, you have to read your team better. You know, clearly he didn't read them well enough because I think that the team was probably cruising not to a win, but they were doing pretty well. And you look at moving forward, my biggest issue is that he doesn't call timeout to draw play up in the last 15 seconds of the game. But you have exactly, that's ridiculous. Spare. That's when you use it. If you want to use it with three minutes left, that's fine. You know, you can look at your team, maybe settle them down. Maybe there's some adjustments or something that you want to change. But you need to make that timeout 15 seconds left in the game. You can drop a play for Kawhi Leonard, who should be the one taking that final shot. I think it's incredibly soft of a team like the Raptors to go to a guy like Kyle Lowry, who, yes, he was open and, yes, it got deflected, but it should be set up in a way that Kawhi Leonard is off the ball until about 10, 5 seconds left, get it to him, and either go ISO or make him take the shot. Your best player should have the ball in his hands when it matters most, and he didn't last game, and that could have cost the, could have cost the Raptors. Yeah, and also going off of that, um, Nick Nurse, when asked about the timeout, he said, oh, I didn't want to lose it because the, the use it or lose it timeout. That, first of all, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's I don't know why coaches thing. care. Like really why do you bad, care that much about your timeout? That's just a bad excuse. Yeah, if you're going to get asked to be like, oh, I wanted to draw something up or I wanted to give my guys a – make up an actual excuse. Don't say something idiotic. And then on the other hand, you have – like you said, take that timeout, draw something up. Uh, Tim Legler on ESPN did a great job on SVP drawing it up uh, – or showing what happened during that that last play. Kawhi Leonard, obviously, he draws a double team, um, and he's forced to come all the way out about 10 feet from the three-point line, takes the ball with uh, 10 seconds left. You want Kawhi Leonard coming off the ball, like you said, with five or less seconds. He got pushed off the ball with that double team, and she got ugly from there. And you can't let Kyle Lowry be the guy shoot your last shot. I mean, as great of a story that would be, you know that it's Kyle Lowry. So you know that's going to happen. Yeah, you know that you're not winning that game when he takes the shot. And... For me, I just – I don't know. When you look at this Raptors team, they're they're pretty one-dimensional. It's pretty much Kawhi Leonard, and that's it. You know, Kyle Lowry, 18 points in this game. Is that really what you're getting from Kyle Lowry, your second-best player? That's in yeah, I mean, two minutes. That's not enough. That is what you get from him, though. That, what, do you, what more do you want from Kyle Lowry? That, that's what he is. I mean, we can talk about that. How about what? Pascal Siakam's really melted since game one? But also, you never expected him to. I don't know. When I look at a guy like Kyle Lowry, I expect 20 points. I expect better from him. I really do. He's supposed to be your leader. You trade DeMar DeRozan, and really it's both of their guy, those two guys' faults that they had so much lack of success in these playoffs alongside LeBron's fault, obviously. But you lose one of your best friends on the team because you're incompetence, and now you're looking at this team again, and they might not win it. And then you, 
if Kawhi leaves, you're left with nothing. What do you? I don't know. There? I mean, Kyle Lowry, he averaged 14 points in the regular season. Like, I'm not, I'm not expecting him to drop 20, 25 points a game. And I don't, I don't think the, the Raptors can even be worried about the future. They're, they're still up three to two. They still control the series. You know, worst comes worst, you lose tonight, you get Game 7 at home. I still like the Raptors to win this series. And I've fl- obviously I've flipped my script since my original prediction, but I don't know. I just think the Raptors have what it takes tonight. I think this is the night where they want to go get it done. They want to shut down the Warriors. And you know what? The 6-6, six and six, that's what I have to say about, about Toronto tonight. If Toronto loses tonight, they're going to lose Game 7 as well. I don't see it happening. I think Toronto... Maple Leafs fans, they know the, the tears and the pain. If it's forced to a game seven, there's a lot of clenching at uh, Scotiabank Arena. That's all I'll say on that. And you look at this team, Fred Van Fleet, three of seven last game. I think you got to feed him the ball a little bit more. And you can't be shooting 25% from three against the Warriors. You just can't. They're too good a team. Well, yeah, obviously you have to match the Warriors in some sense. And, and the Raptors didn't do that last game. But I don't know. I just think that today's going to be the, the game that they, they step up. And, you know, this is a prediction I thought of about five minutes before the show started, so I'm just going to roll with it. Because someone added me on Twitter. Uh, it was actually Mike Piscarino, one of my one of my friends from high school, saying his prediction for the game. So I was, like, really put on the spot. And I was like, you know what? I'm feeling the Raptors to win tonight. So, you know what? Let's ride. We saw the Blues get the, the clinch the cup on the road. How about how about the Raptors clinch this, this game on the road? You know, that story will take us right into odd man rush for this week. And the Blues, as you said, win game seven at home. The first Stanley Cup in franchise history, the illustrious 51-year history of the St. Louis Blues. And one thing that you brought up, Luke, before the show, most watched game in NHL history with 9 million viewers. That that one, that's pretty low when you look at the grand scheme. Yeah, for, that's why I had to read it like that, That's times. embarrassing for the NHL, but just goes yeah. to show what a niche sport it is. And if you're, gonna, if you're a sports fan and you haven't watched the, the NHL yet, watch the playoffs and you'll fall in love. Right, and I think that it was the perfect storm in terms of ratings. You talk about everyone hates Boston combined with the Blues going for the first cup and a game seven. That's the perfect combination for breaking the record. And, you know, it wasn't the best of games. The Blues really dominated in terms of executing. Obviously, the Bruins dominated the shot battle, but, man, Jordan Bennington was really special, and I think me and you both going into that game had our doubts about him, and he was he was really incredible last night. Yeah, I, I called him the Hamburglar on steroids in a sense uh not Mike Condon, I think his name was. Yeah. And he was the Senators goaltender when they went to the when they lost the Maple uh, the Canadians in the first round a couple of years ago. He had an electric uh, down the he was electric down the stretch and really fell flat after that and hasn't made it back to the NHL because he's not that good a goaltender. And for me, I saw Jordan Bennington as the same piece. I don't think he's an All Star. I think he's above average. You know, I think he's a nine fifteen save percentage goalie. And for the Blues, that's all you want. This team's been plagued by bad goaltending for so long that you finally get a guy like Bennington, and he seems to be a god amongst men, really. But when you look at this team, it might be the worst Stanley Cup champion in terms of star power in the last 10 years. Aside from Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly, who else does the – and I don't think casual hockey fans or sports fans know who they are. Who else do you know if you're not a huge hockey fan? Right, and I agree with that in terms of star power, yeah, for sure. But that's kind of what made this storyline kind of kind of fun. Obviously, to me, it wasn't as fun as watching uh, Alexander Ovechkin go on the run with the Caps last season. But you know, there there are a couple of nice storylines. Talk about Pat Maroon, a guy from St. Louis. Uh, you know, play Gloria was was the theme, and uh, Ryan O'Reilly, not my favorite guy in the world. And I mean, Tarasenko to me wasn't 
I mean, he wasn't really anything he special, wasn't that special either. So. It's kind of shocking how mediocre, mediocre he was, not only all season long, but also in these playoffs. You know, he was fine. He was good. He wasn't great, though. I'm pulling up the numbers now. And you really expect more of a guy like him who is making all that money. You know, he's a really talented player. And this season, he just fell flat. 68 points in 76 games played in the regular season. That's really not good from him. You're expecting 40 goals a season from him, 80-plus points. And then, excuse me, you look to the playoffs here as I scroll down on hockey reference, 17 points in 26 games played, 11 goals. You know, 11 goals is good, but you need more assists from him. You know, I hate plus-minus, but he was a minus-five as well. That's not really great. He really didn't do too much for this team. And you look at guys like Braden Shen, guys like, not Alex Steen. Who else am I thinking of? Braden Shen, guys like Schwartz. Steen a little bit, I guess. And Jaden Schwartz. Jaden Schwartz is the name I was looking for, right? And Ryan O'Reilly really in, in this series alone went off. It seemed like he had five goals this series. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't know. I like the story. I'm not, you know, I wasn't I wasn't all in on, on the them winning the first cup as I thought I was going to be. I was kind of just like, you know, that's cool or whatever. But I was obviously a little bit more excited to see Boston fall. But, you know, it was a good series. There are a couple of bad games in the good series. You know, it was, it was kind of, of one of those, games. like, it was very bad the Bruins won 7-2, to two and, and I think that was game Five. three. I think that was game three in you St. Louis, know. where they came out and stomped on them. Yeah, because it was the first home game for St. Louis. Yeah, that's right. You know, there are a couple of bad games. The game seven wasn't great. But overall, I think it was a good series. And, you know, it put hockey a little bit more on the map, which is nice. Yeah, and one thing that I loved from this series was Layla Anderson, the, the uh, blue super fan with – it was the first, I think, a couple of months ago, or at the start of the playoffs. It was the first time leaving her house in six months. She's had some illness for quite some time. And the first time she was able to leave her house, aside from going to the doctor's office, was going to a Blues game. She's been a fan pretty much since forever. And it was, it's just gives me chills talking about it. It's such a cool story. She got her, she's going to get her day with the cup probably. She got to hold the cup on center ice. And that's a dream come true for her. Yeah, it was an awesome story. There were so many cool stories. I also love the video of uh, Pat Maroon celebrating with his family, uh, the hogs all around on the ice. He's actually a guy that uh, was around – well, he was in the Ducks farm system, played for the Syracuse Crunch. So he's a name that, that carries some weight around here. So a lot of people were excited about that, which was pretty cool to see. And obviously, I mean, in my opinion, the hockey sullies plus the cup uh, presentation is, in my opinion, the best in sports. Oh, yeah, 100%. And one thing that I cannot stand, and you know where I'm going when I say this, is that whole narrative when back on January 3rd, <laughs> you look at the standings after, you know, with your morning cup of coffee, you're reading oh, through yeah. it and you look, you look, okay, like Islanders, seven, whatever they were, Leafs, five, Tampa, a distant first. And you make your way down to 31 and you see, oh, look at that, the St. Louis Blues. Worst in the NHL on January 3rd and here they are winning the cup. I hate that narrative so much because you look at this Blues team. At the start of the season, they were good. They weren't necessarily cup contenders, but they were talented. They were a sure, right. sure lock for the playoffs. So I love the I love a worst of first thing. No, they weren't worst. Yes, they were in the standings, but it's because they were getting terrible goaltending. And Mike Yo's an awful coach. He's yeah, a terrible not coach. Mention. He's so bad. You finally bring in a confident guy like Craig Berube, who's the coach for the Flyers for a while. You get a goaltender in Jordan Bennington, and you get a hot streak. To most teams that are playoff teams, rattle off a five ten game win streak every season. You look at it with the Flyers a couple of years ago when they stuck in the playoffs. The Islanders this year, the Sabers this year. Oh wait. I mean, they didn't make the playoffs, but they were a good team at one point. So, yes, they yeah. were bad. But they were bad because their coach oh, was terrible, them. and they had terrible goaltending. And all that changed. So they weren't this team that they were on Jan- 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 January 3rd. 
Yeah, not to mention the uh, Western Conference was pretty uh, bad, and also everyone was kind of stacked up on top. You look at the yeah, they were kind of so bad. You had the Coyotes in the mix for the last five games of the season. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm Uh, I'm with arguing this more. I thought you were pro this narrative. I'm pro this narrative, but not like enough enough to push it because I understand, you know. They kind of have to push the narrative, especially to people that are only watching the playoffs. You know, this team was in last place, and now they're here. This is incredible because you wouldn't see this in any other sport. You talk about the NBA with teams tanking. You talk about the MLB with, with the gap in talent from top to bottom. And in the NFL, obviously, if you start off 3-7, and seven, you're most likely not making the playoffs. So I think that's one of the, one of the reasons why I'm not fighting you too much on this. Because, you know, it's a narrative they have to push. But, you know, obviously, as being uh, a hockey fan myself, I know you're more of the hockey guy. But... You know, we kind of understand that this isn't something that's too, you know, it's kind of rare because the playoffs are usually about set by New Year's. But the way the Western Conference went this year, you know, the Blues always had a chance. Yeah. And I I do like the idea that saying this is an anti-tanking kind of message because you bring in two pieces and now you're a playoff team. You know, you can push the right buttons. You look at the Islanders, Barry Trotz comes and pushes the right buttons. You're a playoff team without talent. So I think that's where you're coming from. You're saying you don't need talent to make the playoffs. You need good structure and good coaching, and that kind of deters tanking for sure. Moving on from one celebration to another, World Cup edition of Celebrate Gate, as I called it, the U.S. Women's National Team wins 13-0, and those that 10th goal, that 11th, that 13th, they celebrate all their goals, and people got mad about it. Yeah, I love how Canada was getting mad about this. TSN had a whole spiel about it and you know i say i think i think canada was a little bit angry because they only beat cameroon one to zero in, in the, their first game of group stages but i i don't come on i mean you talk about the world cup you play it once every four years i don't care how many goals you score you should be super excited alex morgan last world cup scored six goals which led the entire uh u.s women's team she scored five last game i mean that's awesome in my opinion you prepare four years for these games, and you win 13-0. Celebrate all you want. If you're Thailand, that's a national team. They're supposed to be good. They're supposed to be there to compete. Like, get over yourselves in terms of the media. Thailand wasn't complaining about this. It was, it was the media making it into something that it wasn't. And you know what? Go USA, baby. Stomp on their throats. Do whatever you want over there to come home with that cup. I will say, Alex Morgan celebrating her fifth goal, that's unnecessary to me. That you're, you're a professional. You've, you've literally been there before scoring goals. She doesn't need to celebrate her fifth or sixth, whatever it is. But for the girls scoring their first goals in their careers, the first time that they make the World Cup, then you can celebrate. Then your whole team can celebrate because that's a momentous occasion. And Alex Morgan was saying, I'm going to celebrate with these girls that are making their debuts, that have dreamt of scoring a goal in the World Cup. I'm okay with that. But when you've scored so many goals, you don't need to celebrate. You personally. But then, you know, you look at it. Disagree. Alex Morgan said that, Thailand wants us to play our best. They don't want to go up against the USA B team. And I can't disagree with that. I can't agree with that more. Excuse me. And one thing that... I was going to say, I was going to have to cook you. If no, you I agree that. with that wholeheartedly. One thing that CBS uh, was saying or had mentioned is that Carly Lloyd of the US team came out and approached the Thailand's goaltender and they walked off the field together. And that's grace. That's not the US, you know purposely hurting thailand's feelings or making them embarrassing them that's them playing their game for a full 90 minutes and saying to thailand this you being at the world cup is incredible in its own right these are two different teams on two different spheres u.s is in that top three trying to win a championship 
Whereas Thailand is just happy to be there. It's their second time in a World Cup in country's history. Yeah, but I mean, come on. If you're Thailand, you learned your lesson. Go home, lick your wounds. We got a goal differential battle to win here. Exactly. And now from one stellar team to a stellar quarterback, Sam Darnold, the best quarterback in the AFC East, is getting rave reviews from other coaches that are coming in from Adam Gase's uh, click, his his gang, his term coaching tree, his entourage, his um, what am his I? coaches. Not, well, I said coaches already. His his his. Crew, but that's what they gang, are. His, what's the word where like the drinking the Kool Aid joke? Where'd that come from? Starts with a C. Oh, it's cold. Cold. That's what I was going for. Yes. So the Jets wide receiver coach, Sean Jefferson, said, excuse my French when I say this, but he's a bleeping dude. He's a bleeping dude with a bleeping arm. He's accurate as bleep, so excuse that. I mean, I, yes, he is a dude. You that, know, that, that last line really return. concerns me because if he's as accurate as bleep and the bleep is the word I'm thinking of, that could mean that he's not very accurate. If you think about You've it. never said, like, oh, this is good as bleep? You've never said yeah, that I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just making the people think a little bit here. This is it's such a great quote though, and I love how like Rich Samini has to bleep out everything <laughs> on Twitter. You just have to imagine it. Yeah, and you know I don't really know what bleep is, but I'm excited for Sam Darnold. I think this is gonna be a really unique year for the Jets. I think that they're an exciting team for sure, and I think this is a team that could surprise people. I really do. I love the way that yeah. the coaches are handling things. You look at. Their defensive coordinator saying the reason that I keep coming, that I'm keep getting these jobs, is not because I'm so talented. It's because I set this culture that is so important for the NFL, and I think that's what's something they do really well. Moving on, we'll skip around a little bit. We'll go on to the rally towels for Game Six tonight at the Oracle, and the towels say for Oakland, and it's OAC on the top line, LAND on the second, and the K and the D are both in white. Spelling out KD for Kevin Durant. And just a weird kind of towel in the uh, sense that they're not cool. playing in Oakland right now, right? Or are they playing in Oakland? No, they're playing. This is the last, last game in okay. Oakland. So I thought, that's Oakland. what I thought when I first read it, but then I got confused. I mean, they're not really like, cool towels. But it just like, it's hard. I kind of read it as for Olan KD instead of Oakland. Yeah, it's kind of a weird read. It always gets confusing, but I like them. I mean, do it for KD, do it for Oakland. Two birds with one stone. Big rally towel guy. Oh, yeah, me too. Huge rally towel guy. Speaking of rallying, Texas A&M is the first SEC team to allow sales of alcohol in the stadium. And, you know, watching that team, you might need some. You might need some alcohol watching them, you know? Yeah. Uh I mean, they got Jimbo Fisher now, so maybe not as much alcohol. But, yeah, this is – I mean, this is great. I didn't even know – well, I did know because – I mean, wait. Why doesn't the SEC sell alcohol at their venues? That's kind of weird. I think they just recently lifted the ban- – the SEC just recently lifted the ban. It's got to be some, like, Bible Belt stuff, right? Well, I think – I don't I think you can buy alcohol at most college stadiums. I don't know. You can't at the Dome. So, I mean, clearly Syracuse is the most progressive of, of any college team. I don't, yeah, like, I don't think you can at Temple from a couple years ago. I don't think you can in the Big 12 or Big 10 either. But it, they're, they're only selling beer and wine, well, it, though. So like, it's in the Big 10, your beer will freeze when you're sitting out there. You know, it's, it's cold out there. Yeah, I guess. But when you look, Step in the right direction. You know, it, it's good, you know, have fun, be safe. But they're only selling beer and wine. So how many people are really like, who's going to have wine at a football game? Come on now. Come on. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a nice little wine slushy. See, like that, I could get. Uh, no, but it's cold. Actually, it's not cold. It's the SEC. It's hot. Yeah, a wine slushy. Why not? Yeah, you're welcome. Rosé, if you will. Oh, yeah. So we'll follow it up here with the last story of the day for Odd Man Rush. And Herm Edwards, now the football coach at Arizona State, will also be a guest speaker and might even be a professor here talking on sports and media at the Cronkite School of Journalism at ASU. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, not too surprising. We saw um, Mike Leach do it with Washington State. So oh, the is... uh, football tactics and uh, war yes. and guerrilla warfare. That's yes. awesome. I, I wish I could take that story All time. that class. All time, yeah. I'd take a class with Herm Edwards too, though. Yeah, I was going to ask you, if you could get taught by any person, who would it be as a professor? Like any college any coach? Any coach. Any – no, I guess not play. Yeah, any coach. Why do you have to put me on the spot like that? Like – that's so, that's so tough. All right, I so any, any coach? What? Well, let's hear what you say. Maybe you're a fraud. Oh, Dino Babers? Yeah. Well, Dino Babers would be awesome because he – oh, my gosh. He's funny, too. He's a funny He's guy. ridiculous. Isn't he? Yeah, he is. But uh, uh, I think Dabo Sweeney would be interesting. But, you know, there is some weird stuff coming out with him. I'm surprised we didn't talk about that. Oh, yeah, um, we can talk. We'll bring him up after this. Well, I mean, that was just – it was just weird. But – yeah, I'd probably go Dino Babers to, to stick to my roots, but there's some interesting college coaches out there. Jim Harbaugh would probably be up there. That would us. be really good. Jim Harbaugh Khaki would be Panther. great. Um, I think a really cool guy to get uh teach a, get a classroom was like any really any like BU like hockey coach or any like well known hockey coach because they're just they're so unique and they're so kind of like different. You know, like you have like the football guy. Like I think the hockey kind of uh. The hockey coach is really an interesting kind of breed as well. So that that Dabo Sweeney, yeah, but you're a hockey guy. Hmm? I said you're a hockey guy, though. Indeed, I am. One uh, so that last story that you're talking about the the uh, Dabo Sweeney story is uh, this comes from SiriusXM when he was talking to Coach K actually, and yeah. he was asked, "Is there a way? Is there a wall around the state of Alabama that doesn't let you in anymore, so that you can't steal recruits from?" Nick Saban, and he goes, oh, I don't know about walls, but I'm kind of like Osama bin Dabo. I have to navigate my through caves and back channels to make my walk through Alabama these days. And I see what he's going for, <laughs> but that's just a – use a better analogy. Oh, like, I love I guess, it. I, I love guess he can't so make it like a Harriet Tubman reference either because that's probably even worse. Like the yeah, that'd be a lot worse. You know, wow, wow! The fact that you suggest that. Well, I, I just I recently watched off. historical roasts, and she was part of it for uh, Abe Lincoln. So I've got like her in the back of my mind. Like, there's definitely a reference that you can make akin to that that just doesn't. That was kind of like, that was unreal. Bring up hate. <laughs> that was know? unreal. I love it. I love it so it's much. Such a I don't ridiculous. care about it, it. It makes sense, but like you just can't say that. Right, and we got to move on quickly to baseball here. The Yankees. Are 41 and 25, first place in the AL East, a half game up on the Rays. The White Sox are, or the Yankees are playing the White Sox right now on the road. They're up two to zero. A little live update there for you. Uh, So the big news for the Yankees this week: uh, Dallas Keuchel signed a one year. It ends up being 20 million dollar prorated with the Braves. Uh, The Yankees would now exceed 17.6 million dollars in order to stay under the second luxury tax threshold. If they had exceeded that threshold, they'd be taxed 46 percent on every dollar over plus their draft pick would drop 10 slots automatically. So kind of getting stingy, which is a weird move for the Yankees, but 
do you think that they made the right the right move here to to pass on Keuchel? And it was really only a, a end up being I think like a point eight million dollar difference when it comes to the the actual money value. No, I think that this is a team that Brian Cashman said it. He doesn't want to be in the in the luxury tax. He wants to get under it, and that's what he's done. And if that's your if that's your goal, and that's your your franchise's stance, then you can't give him anything else. But at the same time, right now you're playing without Herman, and you have your bullpen pitching every fifth day. You've got to get 27 outs from your bullpen every fifth day. That's very taxing on something that's supposed to be your strength. So. Well, this is kind of what the Yankees needed to do. They can't, you know, they better be hopeful that no one gets injured at their bullpen. You really have to hope. Yeah, for that. I, I think the move is going to be signing or, excuse me, trading for a piece of the deadline because I don't think the Yankees necessarily loved what they saw in Keuchel. They obviously liked it enough where they offered but him a contract, like him. but because you offered him a contract, and the reason you stay away from it is the luxury tax. But if the dude's hitting 86 on the radar gun with a fastball, I don't want I don't touch him if I'm the Yankees. But then why don't you him at all? I know that that's the biggest question to me. But obviously, if you loved him that much, then yeah, give him the extra money. But I think I think the right move here is gonna be trading for for a different guy because you have Marcus Stroman, uh, Trevor Bauer, and Mad Bum, three most likely guys for the Yankees to trade for. I think the Nationals are gonna hold hold on to Max Scherzer. I think that. They're gonna think that they're in contention for as long as, as the season goes. To be honest, just that's just how the Nationals' management has been run uh, for for a long time. And Marcus Stroman's the guy that I really I really tab here if the Blue Jays are willing to move him in within the division because this is a guy that going past just analytics, which obviously I'm I'm a, a huge component of. This is just a gamer, and he's a guy that's gonna go out and give you his all every single time out there. And then Madison Bumgarner to me is is the guy that I probably would maybe stay away from but the way he's been pitching lately makes me a little bit more hopeful and then Trevor Bauer's an interesting guy I mean he's probably the most knowledgeable pitcher in the MLB in terms of analytics in terms of knowing what he's doing but I think those are the three names that the Yankees are going to look to pursue yeah and I'm not a huge Mad Bum fan I, I like him as a pitcher but for the Yankees in terms of fit I think he's in a, I think he you're going to give the most to get a guy like him based on name value alone and I don't think he's worth that I really don't I think he's a good talented piece but I'd much rather a guy like Marcus Stroman. I think he's a really talented pitcher. He's a gamer, as you said. He knows the game so well. He loves it. Whereas Mad Bum, I, I don't know. Mad Bum's a gamer, though, and you know he's going to show up in the playoffs. He is, but I just – I think I don't love his age. I don't love the value on it. And also, you look at him and yeah, you say, he's making a lot of money, obviously. Can you stay under the tax threshold when you sign a guy like him or trade for a guy like him? Yeah, and the, and the Giants – Oh, they would stay. They would still stay under it. I, I wonder what type of package the Giants would want. But there's a lot of concerning things with Mad Bum. Not to nerd out too much, but I mean, the launch angle got some spend the highest ever. His exit velocity is up. His barrel percentage is up. So those are a little bit concerning. But the Giants said they've been toying with some of his mechanics. So we'll see if you, that ends up being that something. You've the last couple on. starts for sure. Exactly, and, and Cashman's a guy that that finds these. He he knows what he wants in a player. So if Mad Bum's a guy that. He thinks will is is worth giving up a guy like Clint Frazier for. Then I'm all for it. Uh, I think that's going to be the question: is what is Cashman like, and and what does he not like? And you look at this team, and the, it looked like the starting pitching was going to be a strength towards the beginning of the season. One or a month into the season, they were dealing pretty well. They weren't too bad, and now you've got so many injuries where you've got Herman injured. Paxton can't stay healthy either, and when he is, he's not. He's pitching good, yes, but do you trust his knee for the next hundred games of the season? Too. Plus playoffs, can he stay healthy when it matters most? 
CC, I trust wholeheartedly because once it gets the playoffs, he's going to be there for you. He's he's an all time pro. It's his last year, so maybe you don't want him starting in the playoffs, but he's definitely could be a guy to the bullpen that you trust. You know, Tanaka, you you, you noted earlier, Luke, that his split is getting crushed, but and at the same time, he's been very iffy this entire season. So when you have a guy like Severino and Paxton and Hap, these three guys were supposed to be really good. Severino and Paxton, in a sense, are Cy Young caliber guys. You know, Hap's nowhere near that, but he's still talented enough. And now you look at them now, and they're hurt. So you need yeah. one. You need at least one more arm at the deadline. And do you quite do you try to get one more? Because Herman, by the end of the season, he's going to be put on the shelf because his innings limit. Yeah, I think they need to go out and get that one starter. And, you know, just looking at the team in general, they're struggling a little bit. They lost two straight road series and then split that doubleheader with the Mets, uh, kind of both beat up on each other in, in the two games. They're now in Chicago. They're up 4-0 right now after a two-run home run by Brett Gardner. The Rays are down 3-0. So this could be a, a chance for the Yankees to gain a game. Red Sox also losing. Uh, they've been struggling against Texas. Aaron Boone says Judge and Stanton could both be back for the Rays series coming up next week. The, the, the question is, how is he going to move or maneuver this lineup? Because Stanton most likely will be back Tuesday. Judge is going to take a little bit longer as he starts his rehab this weekend. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces in that infield. Yeah, and then you look at this team, and it, it, it's kind of weird. But I think one thing I'll give credit to Aaron Boone is he does such a good job maneuvering the lineup. When you look at this team, he seems to really push all the right buttons. And, you know, this is a problem that you almost like to have. You really do because you, you add in two guys that are so talented – and yes, Clint Frazier has been playing very well, but do you want his his outfielding liability there, in a sense? Do you want him to be there every single time? And you look at this lineup now, and you say, you know, maybe you, you could send down Mike Talkman once those two guys get healthy, and maybe you send you maybe you release Kendrys Morales, and there's your, you know, there's your two slots that you open up for the roster. And when you look at the lineup, it's all about dealing with Hicks. I think you want to keep five outfielders up. I think you want Hicks, Judge, Stanton. Frazier and Gardner, I think you have to keep all five up because they all play an important role. And at that point, one of them can DH every every five days. You give the next the next day for uh, Sanchez or whatever it may be, and then maybe you sit Gardner on the shelf a little bit. You know, work him in with Hicks, work him in with Judge and Stanton, keep these guys fresh because they're all pretty talented aside from Gardner, who right now has been playing very well as of late. Yeah, I think that the biggest question. I mean, I go to I went. Last night I was talking obviously Yankees all night for for my other podcast, but just to, just to stick it, uh, I think the biggest thing they need to do in the outfield is you have to make sure, like you said, use that DH as a revolving door. Don't let Giancarlo Stanton just kind of take up that DH spot every single night. And then Brett Gardner, I think, needs to be the odd man out here. You need to rely on Stanton in left, Hicks in center, and Judge in right. Hicks and Judge obviously are fine. The question is, can Giancarlo Stanton play well enough in left field where? He struggled a little bit last year. And then the infield, it's got to be Boyd, uh, excuse me, Glaber Torres, Gregorius, and then Urshela. But you've got to get DJ uh, LeMahieu six games a week, which Boone said he's going to. So I think that will work itself out. Uh, I think the outfield's the more crowded issue here. But again, it's a good issue to have for the Yankees, finally getting all their players back and healthy. And, you know, they've been struggling a little bit lately. So I think, you know, the whole narrative of, oh, are they going to be worse when these guys come back is kind of squashed. So. You know, they play that small ball. They're, they're first in the MLB in, in uh, batting average with the runners in scoring position. So I think that they've set the table nicely, but now it's time for for the big boys to come eat. Yeah, when you look at a guy like LeMahieu, you can play him two games at third per, per week, play him two games at short and two games at second, and that's not ideal. You don't want to move him around all the time. But 
especially with Didi kind of locked in there. Maybe you give Didi two games off a week instead of one. You know, maybe you let him rest up, let him do what he's got to do. Same with Torres and same with a guy like like Gio Urshela, who you you have to trust, but there's got to be some regression at some point. And that's when LeMahieu can really step up and be a star for this team, just as he has all season long. Yeah, Urshela's going to be that guy. And, you know, we're kind of running out of time here, so we'll move on to the Mets quick. But, you know, the 33 and 34, the Mets, six games behind the Braves. The Braves are hot, so I think they could really pull away fast. Four and a half games behind the second wild card spot. But I think the biggest thing for the Mets is they've been winning series, which is which is ultra important. They beat the Rockies, the Giants. They split with the Yankees. But brutal stretch here coming up, Matt. We got Card- the Mets have Cardinals, Braves, Cubs, Phillies, Yankees, Braves, Phillies to the All-Star break. That is going to be a tough stretch that they're going to have to step up in. Yeah, that's scary if you're a Mets fan. And you look at this team and not a lot's going right for them. Yes, they've been winning a couple series, but the way they're doing it, they're not playing necessarily great teams. And it's it's scary if you're a Mets fan, because right now your best pitcher is Jason Vargas. That's scary. And if you say in a week from now... Jason Vargas is a beast, though. In, in a month from now, he could be terrible. He could be back to his old ways. So how can you rely on a guy like him when really, is he someone that should be relied on? And kind of looking at the no. last couple series that they've won, they beat uh, back in... Let's start this here in, I guess, start it in May. You know, you lose to Milwaukee. You win a series. You win two out. You win your two games against Miami, May, uh, May 10th and 11th. You lose to Washington. You lose a three game set to Miami. You, you sweep Washington right after that in late May. Then you beat Detroit, lose to LA, lose to Arizona, beat San Francisco, beat Colorado, and you split with New York. Which one of those teams are good? Is Detroit good? No. Is Washington no. good? No. You lose to Arizona and LA. Is Colorado good? Eh? Kind of. Eh? Like they're 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 like the Mets in a sense. They're middling, maybe a little bit better than middling. Yeah, there's gonna be some tough stretches coming up, but you know, a little local news with the Syracuse Mets. Uh Justin Wilson, Robinson Cano, Brandon Nemo are all down in triple A. Cano should be down there for at least seven more days. They they put him back on the ten day IL in terms of the big league. Uh Nemo looks like he's been healthy since that scary crash in the wall in Atlanta. With that neck injury, uh, Justin Wilson had a strong inning of work with two strikeouts against Charlotte. Uh, the sad, the sad news of the day was Robinson Cano. You know, he basically blew me off, which was was a sad moment. You know, he told, uh, I'm interning with uh, CNY Central, and you know, he told he told media that he would be talking after the game, and he had he was three for three with two doubles and a single. After the third inning, the Mets pulled him. And it was a long Wait, game, four hours. He was three hours. for three, and he was pulled in the third inning? Yes. How did he get up three times? The, the final score was 15-8 to eight in, in favor of the Mets. Well, because he's playing so against was, the scrubs then. Yeah, it was a wild game. But he said he would meet with the media after. Brandon Nimmo talked to the media before the game, uh, after batting practice before the game. We come down to the, to the locker room, and Cano has left the building after the third inning, back to his hotel room. So that, that was a little bit of a sad day. But, but good for the Mets on, on that stance where you have these guys getting back, ready to come back up. Yeah, and with Cano, hopefully he gets his stride here in in uh, AAA, get some confidence back. Because if he can play like he did back in Seattle, then this is a team that could be a playoff team. Because now you have that scarier bet in your lineup. You hope that Jason Vargas can be at least average for a fifth starter. And you hope that Noah Syndergaard can figure his stuff out. And when you move on from there, this is a team that has some talent. You know, Pete Alonso, he's got to get back to 
that first month of the season, Brandon Nimmo start hitting for some contact, not having an on-base percentage less than 300 or whatever it was. You know, this is a team that has some pieces, but they need them all to click at the same time, and they haven't gotten that just yet. But time is ticking yeah. for this team. What would you say? Four and a half games back of a wild card spot in a tough yeah. division? Or not necessarily in a tough division, but in a tough uh, league? Time is ticking, and the Mets need to figure their stuff out. Yeah, and a little side note also, um, probably a bigger, you know, I'm kind of a prospect nerd at some points, but Anthony Kay, the 24-year-old lefty, was called up to AAA for the Mets. 7-3, and 1.49 ERA in AA this year. The Mets say he'll be developed into a starting pitcher only. They said, you know, we call him up and he relieves. He's not learning anything. We want to develop him as a starting pitcher. And scouts rave about this kid. They say he's going to be a major league stud. So that's big news for the Mets. And, I mean, we've been talking about Jason Vargas. I mean, he's been ridiculous. His last four starts, 2-1, 1.67 ERA, 20 strikeouts, four walks, no, or excuse me, nine walks, no home runs allowed. And his ERA is second behind Jacob DeGrom on the team. And I think on that's a big issue the for the Mets. Starts. On the season. It dro- it He's got his ERA down to a three six eight. Wow. Yes, sir. Wow. Second behind Jacob Degrom, so, and that that's good good for him, but that's awful for the Mets. Yeah. So I gotta ask you: Have you looked at his uh, analytics and spin rate and all that nonsense as the last four games, or not too much? Well, if you're gonna call it nonsense, then I don't really uh, I don't know if I want to talk to you, man. Well, I don't know the other term for it. His his woba is that a stat? That <laughs> is, but yeah, what the the thing about Vargas is he doesn't throw the ball hard, but he gets hit decently hard you know he gets hit slightly above average in the 64th percentile in terms of hard hit percentage he doesn't strike out a lot of guys uh his exit velocity is in the 85th percentile his fastball velocity is in the zeroth percentile i think he tops out around like 84 85 uh maybe hits 88 on a good day so th- there's going to be some regression in jason vargas he's going to get hard, hit hard and hit get hard hit yeah hit hard fast sometimes you know with the slow pitcher it's a lot of deception Vargas doesn't really have a lot of deception because he's he throws slow all the time. So I think you're gonna you're gonna see Maybe some regression coming up. To throw it so slow that the other team's exit velo can't get up and they can't physically hit it 400 feet. Maybe that's exactly. I mean that that's the good part. You throw slower. You're, you're not supposed to get it hit as hard, which is which is I guess nice for for Vargas. But I think going forward, the the, the big message in all this is if you're the Mets pitching staff. Someone's got to step up. I mean, Wheeler was okay against the Yankees for a while and then just imploded. Syndergaard's been non-existent. And DeGrom's been good, but he's not Cy Young DeGrom. So their rotations can be something to watch, especially as you start to get into these tough games going into the All-Star break. You know, you look at a guy like Zach Wheeler, come trade deadline, he could be the first one to go. But what is he, What is his value? He really They've all really struggled, so I don't think this team has any pieces that are of, of trade value. You know, I, yeah, I, I, don't I don't think see. so either. Zach Wheeler, he's pitching to almost a five ERA. That's that's ridiculous. You can't have yeah, a starter. Exactly. You, that's not a trade piece that you want. You know, he's a good talent. He has that raw talent. He can kind of fix himself or have a team fix him that actually can invest some money and time into him. But right now, is anyone going to want to buy low enough on? Are the Mets going to be able to afford to sell that low on a guy? No, no one's going. No one's going to trade for Wheeler. That's that's just that's just a fact. They're not going to get much for him. And then you look, you know, just some of these pieces. Noah Syndergaard pitching to a 4.45 ERA. To me, I'm most disappointed in him, realistically, because he's a guy that lobbied for Jacob Degrom's contract, got him paid. He's trying to get paid himself, and he's he's been terrible. And you know what the sad thing is? He's gonna get big money this all in an off season. 
Oh, no doubt about maybe. it. He's going to get paid. I don't know. I don't, I I there's a doubt about get paid around what you, maybe less than Jacob DeGrom, but around that. Because what? He's 26. I don't know. I mean, we saw Dallas Keuchel have a good year last year and no one paid him. Well, what, Thor's no coming off a bad 26. year. He's younger than DeGrom. Yes, he's a, he's a fireball pitcher, but he's talented enough and good enough where you think a team like the Yankees or like the like the Astros, Astros. can fix him. You Maybe. saw what they did with Verlander. There's no doubt in my mind that they can do the same for a guy like Syndergaard. Excuse me. But right now, he's been terrible with the Mets, and he has a big mouth, and that's great. That's fun. The, the fans love it. But you got to back yourself up, and he hasn't done that. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens with, with Thor for sure. All right, that's just about all the time we have left here on the Weekend Recap. Episode 3 of the Summer Series. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. And we will catch you guys sometime next week, probably Monday. TBD. That's usually TBD. a safe day because now yeah. my schedule's back to normal. Was a little busy the last couple of days. Went to Philly, went to a concert. Had a good time. There was like all of them were like 12 years old. It was gross. Yeah. But that'll just about wrap it up. Thank you all for listening and hanging out. We'll catch you guys next week on the Weekend Recap.